This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. We've been making cheese in Wisconsin since before we were even a state, which may be one reason why we win so many awards for it. It's what happens when a whole state dreams in cheese. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. I'm Allison Kane, and welcome to In the Sauce, a podcast about building consumer brands from the ground up. I love doing this show because I get to interview everyone from production gurus to marketing and social media mavens, anyone who can guide me on this crazy journey. This is the story of building Haven's Kitchen sauces, but it's also the story of every growing brand because we're all in the sauce. Today, I'm speaking with Ryan Rogers, my former Target buyer. Ryan left Target after 18 years and now works at FDM Sales, working to build consumer brands as their partner and sales team. If you are an In the Sauce listener, you have definitely heard me talk about Ryan. He's a wealth of knowledge about the emerging brand ecosystem, but also about how Target works and how we can best work with them. Welcome, Ryan. Hi, thank you. Hi. In person. In person. This is my first in-person podcast since December of 2019. I, I definitely came to New York just for you. Oh, you're the best. <laughs> um, so seriously, I, I I, think you actually listen to this podcast or you've listened to some of it. I sure do. I mention you a, probably, I don't know, every fifth episode as a buyer who, you know, I don't think we were quite ready for Target, candidly, and I just wanted to work with you, honestly. <laughs> Appreciate and that. I thought you had vision, and you were understanding, and you you just were a little different. Um, so it's really fun just to be in person with you and just to say, hey, and thank you for supporting us as a really early brand. But also, I feel like it's a little, you know, having you on here is just such a gift for people who are listening who are working at brands that are either trying to make it there or in there, but not quite sure how to succeed there. Um, so it's going to be really awesome having you just sort of like fill in some of those gaps. Yeah, yeah we'll try to peel the onion back a little bit. Awesome. Before that, we're going to talk about you a little bit. So 18 years feels like a long time to be in any one job, but especially at Target. You started yeah. in 2007. What was, how'd you get there? What was the path? What did you do? And, you know, yeah. all that. Yeah, it was a little little bit before that. I'll, uh, I'll have to update my profile. Um, but yeah, it was 2002. <laughs> oh, uh, 2002. I literally Jesus. started in the stores in college. Um, I had some familiarity with Target, obviously, living in the Minnesota area. Um, yeah, just a seasonal stock person and uh, spent a couple years there in college working my way up and went corporate a couple years later. And literally just kind of, you know, I stumbled into food. Yeah, uh, I was placed there, quote unquote. They you know, do a lot of recruiting and they just kind of create general athletes a lot of times. Right. And um, started, you know in like bakery or frozen and bounced around a little bit and then ended up coming over to produce. Um, and produce, like when people think of produce, I mean, they think of like commodity potatoes and pineapples. Is that what you were buying? Um, 
I mean, I, I came over on like, I was a little lower on the totem pole, but I think the, I guess where we were at within target was we were growing a lot within like the refrigerated space. So, Mm -hmm. you know, Doritos have been in all targets for a long, long time, but refrigerated and frozen, it's literally like the last, you know, 10, 15 years, they've gotten like more, you know, stores within target. So teams started to grow and they needed more people to do things. And a lot of it was, you know, a distribution through a lot of third party and then target was investing in their supply chain and it was growing really fast. And so, Coming over to produce, it was definitely in a growth mode. Right. You know, we're expanding to all these stores and, and, and things like that. Did so. you, were you clued in? I mean, obviously, I know you weren't like in the, you know, C suite at that point, <laughs> Target, <laughs> but like, I always, Target's been such an interesting store just like to watch sure. as a human, forget about like as a, you know, CPG founder. Like, right. it, it's gone through a bunch of evolutions. It seems to always land on its feet and it became kind of this place of discovery for beauty and for like skincare and stuff like that. Obviously there was someone who was like, we should also do that for grocery. People are coming there to buy their fill in the blank. They might as well pick up their milk as well. Yeah. I think, you know, they were doing some of that. I think super targets were, you know, right around 2000 or something like that. And in 2005, six, when I was coming on, I think there was, I don't know, a couple hundred, uh, super targets or less. And I think as the crash was happening, I think Mm -hmm. they really looked at like, you know, how do we drive consistency into Mm -hmm. the store and milk, eggs, and bananas do that really, really well. And so there was kind of a, a pivot point there. I think, you know, overall just like, Hey, like, let's do a little bit more of this. And, you know, Target's got the ability to, you know, look at a lot of data and learn mm-hmm. a lot really, really fast and they can make decisions pretty quickly. And then, you know, coming out of that, you know, there was a lot of growth and that's when like they're doing things in Canada and some things like that. And then that kind of evolved over time too. And really, I guess, you know, to put a, a finer point on it would be, you know, then there was another kind of like 2016, 2017 through Target had a handful of different challenges and CEO changes and things like that. And, and really, you know, since then they've started, you know, investing more in stores, investing in omni-channel and it really, as the, um, as the pandemic hit, like Target was really set up for success and they're kind of, you know, I guess reaping those rewards a lot at this point. Yeah. So when you were originally brought in, to produce, what was your actual job? Yeah, so I was doing more of kind of, um, I, I ended up on the sourcing team within the produce area. So that was definitely like true commodities. So I was helping source and work the supply chain for strawberries and apples and all kinds of fun fruit things. Right. And then I got, you know, moved over onto more of the CPG side of produce. And that's where, I don't know, love blossomed, I guess, for mm-hmm. lack of a better phrase. Yeah, for sure. um, and my, I benefited a lot from being in the background with a working in tandem with a buyer and we were taking a lot of meetings together. So I spent like 15 months kind of just like learning about these businesses and then target restructured their whole merchandising team. And they created, like they'd made a lot of us who were doing sourcing into buyers and I got put into a buyer role. Well, I had just spent like 15 months (laughs) researching these categories and executing, but like, 
taking a lot of meetings, a lot of line reviews, learning all about the business. And so when I got the reins, I was kind of ready to go. And I had kind of, you know, not really realizing it had my own visions and wanted to make my own decisions. And that's kind of, you know, took off from there, I guess. Yeah. And I mean, when we sort of entered the picture, when we started talking to you, it seemed like you were a little bit unusual in the sense that you <laughs> I've were learned that in my, as I've left, <laughs> you know, you were willing to take risks on a brand like us, right. That candidly probably wasn't going to be like doing eight units per skew per store per sure. week. Right. Like right off the bat. And, you know, there was some explaining to do and all of that, but you seem to have this, like, like you said, love of, making this like discovery set of brands that had something to them that were doing well in their own ways in other places. And you, you just kind of put them together in a set. Um, I guess the question is, I mean, I remember, I feel like we had a discussion very early on where you brought in Miyoko's and the dairy buyer had said like no to Miyoko's or something. And then now they wanted them back or something like that. Like, are you, were you, did you kind of create this like catch all for all of this like new weird stuff or were you tasked with like a mandate to like build out fresh CPG or, you know, how, how did it happen a little bit? Yeah, I would say I, you know, I guess you kind of make your own luck in some respects and then the stars aligned quite mm-hmm. a bit. So we were, we we're re kind of flowing all of our produce pogs and we we're, you know, you have, you know, a lot of perishable product in there that's going bad really fast. Mm -hmm. And then you have products that I was working in and like snacks and plant-based that have a little bit longer shelf life. And that was starting to explode and, you know, lobbying internally and gaining alignment with leadership. You just go like, Hey, like, why don't you let me like take a run at some of this space and we'll see what we can do. And then dovetailing with that is my, personal desire to find cool stuff and you know ultimately like i had a lot of conversations with brand like yours like i just want to bring cool things into target like there's a lot of like soft lines and these other areas of the target hearth and home and things like that that are doing really cool things Mm -hmm. like like i said in a lot of meetings like i think the target guest should see this like we should be you know out front on some of this right but i also had the bandwidth to dive into a lot of that product and the sales you know to come behind that and give me a runway right so that helped a lot too so if you had to sort of take that couple of years where you were you were kind of given this like group 600 stores 700 stores or something like that to play with a little bit because they had the room sure i'm gathering in the set what would you say if you had to say like I learned this, which surprised me and, or like this became, this was like something that made itself very evident pretty early on. Um, I would say the hardest part was I didn't have like a clear map of where all this space was coming from. Mm -hmm. And it happened over two separate years where we got a little bit one year, like 2018. And then we got more in like 2019 or 2020. I can't remember getting my years mixed up but Mm -hmm. you kind of start with a little bit 
and you it's like okay i want to bring in all this stuff i I had uh you know the vegetarian plant-based set that had like seven skews of tofu and i was like okay like (laughs) it's a lot of tofu. like let's add some cool stuff in here so you know i brought in a bunch of things but then you take you know the where the space was coming from i would only end up with like you know call it 7500 stores Mm -hmm. that had like extra space to do even more stuff well then you spread that across a you know, multiple points of distribution and you get, you know, you're starting to work with emerging brands, but then you're spreading them really, really thin in a refrigerated supply chain, which has its own complications. And so that was really like the toughest part. And then, you know, I think a lot of people, you know, in your shoes are, uh, you know, are like, you know, what is, what's the final store count? Like what's going on? And it was, I spent a lot of time like, Hey, like, we're reflowing all these produce pogs. I'm not going to know until like 12 weeks out. Right. So I know you have planning you know, leadership and right. planning and production to do all that stuff. But like, I, we got to figure out how the dust is going to settle here. And I think those were kind of real challenges that kind of ran parallel with each other that made things really difficult, but yeah. I learned a ton obviously. And I think, you know, I mean, a lot of times I really try to come at this, you know, I'm, I, I'm not a salesperson and by training in any way, I think you become a salesperson pretty quickly as a founder. But I think part of the thing that, you know, we heard a lot, we continue to hear a lot and is really true, especially if you're a fresh brand is like, if you are going in, someone is going out. Like we kind of forget, I think, because we live in this digital age that a grocery store has an actual square footage and an actual like four foot set and you take up 18 inches of it and when they say they don't have room like they kind of mean they don't have room sometimes when they say they don't have room that they mean i don't have room for you but for most of it though like i'm sure buyers would like to take in a lot more than they actually do they just it's there is a physical limitation to it you know and yeah i would say i in my shoes, I was trying to go and find what I thought was like best, you know, f- for plant-based, let's take plant-based specifically. I was trying to find what I thought were like best in class sets. And so shout out to like the lazy acres of the world. I'm like looking at their set and it's like 12 feet and mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, I need to somehow, you know, pair 12 feet down to like literally three to four shelves. Right. So it's like, you know, they have four feet of like dairy alt and four feet of meat alt and four feet of fermented. It's like, okay, well that at least gives me guardrails. Like I can put this on, you know, I can put fermented on a shelf and I can put, you know, cheese alt or dairy. And then random sauce somewhere. Yeah, And then (laughs) you don't even fit anywhere. Exactly. (laughs) And then you got to find, you know, it's a bit of a catch all. And I got a lot of pushback internally. It's like, Hey, this, there's a lot of things going on in here. And I'm like, well, but it's the discovery shelf. Yeah. And I guess that's part of my second question is like, so you're taking, you know, 20 feet, you're condensing it into three. And shelves. Shelves, right. <laughs> um, right, yeah. exactly, shelves. Yeah. And I would imagine there's a natural tension that occurs between velocity and kind of discovery and, and then yeah. not cool factor, but like, you know, the thing about Target and beauty, and we talked about this early on, is like, you would go there to find something new and fun sure. and kind of cool. And yeah. the fact that you can kind of recreate that in food 
protects you a lot from like all of this stuff that's happening in the grocery industry. Was your, did you find yourself sort of defending? All the time. Right. I, I had to have a lot of conversations around like usage occasion. So Mm -hmm. yeah, like, you know, the Tofurkeys of the world would love nothing more than for me to carry, you know, four different slices and a bunch of sausages. And, you know, if you look at their top items, it's like, yeah, that makes sense. Right. But I, the, you got to look at when your guest and is coming and how often are they coming? You know, the, how often are they coming pre pandemic? You know, you, it's not as much as you'd think. Um, you know, you think about the, the normal person going to target is you're going to make a detergent run, maybe one fill in food trip. You know, you're going to go for holidays, Mm -hmm. your nephew's birthday or your kid's birthday, you know, so it's, it's not as many as you'd think is right. the typical guests. We get spoiled a little bit in the Minneapolis market where Target has massive share and huge stores and they all move like crazy. Mm-hmm. It's so, you know, I I was building trying to build a set that was like, hey, I'm I might not take your top items. And I realized that like you are like, you know, not to be over dramatic, but you're living and dying by a buyer's choices. And right. I'm like, hey, like I'm gonna take different skews because when that consumer is coming to the set i want them to be able to have a reason to buy different yes. things for different especially in plant-based where there's a bunch of different things that you can carry and you can cover different meals of the day or things right. like that i wanted that versatility in my set so mm-hmm. I, I had to explain that a lot last question before we take a break has that guest changed like has has the frequency has what they're coming to target for you know like is that different now? I don't, I think the frequency is probably changing. Like, you know, I think the consumer was like in the pandemic was like, I don't want to go to very many places and mm-hmm. target had teed itself up nicely. Very well for com. drive up yeah. shipped, like, you know, pick up in store, like all these different, all this different versatility. And then you, you take a bunch of people who had gone a few times a year mm-hmm. and they're like, Oh my God, you know, now I, I can get everything I, in one. I, I need to go in there for everything. And all oh, they have this and they have this. And I think there was a lot of people who ended up doing a lot of discovery mm-hmm. and, you know, and I'm not sure that that has necessarily slowed down. Right. I think it's like, you know, it's kind of given target, you know, some tailwinds, if you will, yeah. for all the right reasons. So, I mean, that's what our broker keeps telling us. Sure. <laughs> Yeah. We get really good. Like Target is up a thousand gazillion percent this quarter. Um, okay, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back and talk about how to be successful at Target. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. There's a reason when you think of Wisconsin, you think cheese. Cheese is a huge part of Wisconsin's history and future. In Wisconsin, the state of cheese, The tradition of cheesemaking excellence began 180 years ago, before Wisconsin was recognized as a state. Immigrants traveled to settle in this lush, green hills of Wisconsin, bringing their cheesemaking traditions with them. These storied skills combined with the freshest milk available created a cheesemaking culture that is uniquely Wisconsin. Wisconsin's 1,200 cheesemakers, many of whom are third and fourth generation, continue to pass on old-world traditions while adopting modern innovations in cheesemaking craftsmanship. 
Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. I'm back with Ryan Rogers. I'm my former target buyer, for lack of a better word. I think um, I was, I think I was, that's what you referred to me as on a lot of your podcasts. My old target buyer or my target buyer. My, or I can't say my favorite quote buyer because I feel like other buyers might listen to this. I don't know that <laughs> other buyers are listening to this, but it's really funny though, because there have been times where I was talking to other brands and then you would ping me and be like, heard the episode. And I'd be like, uh, yeah. did I say something about my target buyer? <laughs> like I would, I sometimes I forget that people are actually listening to this, which is, yeah. It's a great podcast. I guess kind of interesting. Um, okay, so let's talk about from the beginning sure. because not everyone should go to Target, right? Not every brand should be in Target, yeah. at least early stage. So what would you say are sort of like fundamental things that you should, as a brand, have in place before you even think about putting Target on your you know, go-after list? Yeah, I think... It's obviously going to vary quite a bit by category, but I think more often than not, you should probably wait. I think you got to have, you got to have the funds to do it. Obviously like target has its own, you know, guidance on, you know, what the expectations are from, uh, you know, trade, trade and all that, those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. I think you gotta, you gotta think about your production. Um, I, you know, I think we could talk for quite a bit on this podcast and we probably will talk about refrigerated supply chain. Yeah coming from produce it's a big passion of mine i think it's a huge like if if you're out there listening and you're an emerging brand if there's one thing you take away from this podcast i would say don't forget about your Your supply supply chain chain. especially if you're in refrigerated i think it's obviously we all know like these are crazy times and it's outrageous but you know i came across so many vendors where it was like oh yeah we got this great 3pl and i was like okay like I, i literally you know haul strawberries seven days a week mm-hmm. like we know who the great three pls are in a lot right. of ways like make sure that's buttoned up and you have a good handle on that because there's going like it's refrigerated supply chain like yep. stuff's gonna happen you know it, it's gonna happen more and more and disappointing the targets of the world you know not that target means more than other consumers but it's just you know it's a it's bigger awful it's a bigger moment you it's know? funny our new you know the new you Um, so we were, you know, we were out of stock on barbecue for a couple months because of the pouch supplier. And then the pouch supplier went from, you know, five shifts a day to one and a half. And I mean, it just was like, just adding insult to injury basically. And of course we had a mitigation plan and we're like this and we're like that. And we had just switched from one of the SKUs to barbecue and then immediately we're out of stock. So now we only have two other SKUs on the shelf. And he was kind of like this is nothing. <laughs> like, yeah. He was so sanguine about it. He's like, I'm not getting like 60% of stuff from other brands, you know? And I just, yeah. it just made me nauseated just to think about it. But yes, I think that's a great, if you have to take a single takeaway, you know, I think when you're starting a company in the branded product space, you're thinking so much about that brand and about the package and about the product and about all of that. And the making sure that you have not only secondary, but tertiary suppliers and you have trucks backed up to trucks, backed up to trucks. I mean, and you know, we don't go through UNFI for target obviously, but like if you're in that system right now, you are basically trying to decide 
am I holding my breath and hoping that they actually pick up or am I going to eat it and like freight it myself and drop it off at a DC and hopefully they'll actually accept my truck. Right. I mean, it's just a nightmare. It was a nightmare before, but it's just gotten (laughs) like incrementally exponentially, I guess is the word. And yet fresh is where the innovation is and fresh is where premium is and fresh is where the consumer wants to be. And fresh is also what keeps people going to stores as opposed to direct to consumer, right? Like, yeah. And I think frankly, you know, it's a matter of time for so much of this, like center store is only going to get smaller and mm -hmm. fresh is only going to get bigger. Like you think about the feet upon feet upon feet of like pasta sauce, right? Like I'm sure there's refrigerated fresh pasta sauces out there, but it's only a matter of time before like, people convert more and more to that. And Mm -hmm. that all needs a place to go. Right. Well, that's actually a really good question because I, so we were in a large retailer, not to be mentioned right now, um, who we were in the sort of plant-based catch-all. It wasn't a great set. It was kind of where they put the stuff. They didn't know where to put the stuff. And consequently, there was a new buyer. She made the accurate and very thoughtful decision to make it basically just plant-based cheese. Yeah. Um, so a bunch of brands, you know, I would say eight to 12 of us basically have no home now. And, you know, some of them can go to meat, some of them can go to dairy, you know, sure. some of them can go to produce, some of them, whatever. Um, but you're starting from scratch, essentially. So do you think that a set like yours that you kind of nurtured and created, is it at some point going to get sort of redistributed into other sets somehow? Or are they going to start recategorizing, I guess? Yeah, I mean, I think in a perfect world, you cultivate all of these and then they grow into big kids and Mm -hmm. then they move on to, you know, if you're talking about like, you know, they all end up like plant-based milk, right? right? They all end up right. Or even like hummus. I always talk about hummus. Like I always compare us to hummus in 2009. Yeah. Right. It's a brown goop in a tub that like buyers didn't know what to do with consumers had no clue what to do with. And now it's a 20 foot set in every store across America. And that's how I think of like sort of that last mile of dinner, you know, that like brands like ours, I don't, they're not that many right right now, but there will be, you know, and we're just hoping that we kind of carve out that path a little bit and, but we don't want to be the only people on the shelf that's doing that for very much longer. Yeah. I think a product like yours, you and I had a lot of those discussions. I think as me personally, as a buyer, I liked when the vendor came in with like a perspective on like Mm -hmm. where they want to live and how they want to live in store. And, you know, maybe they went to the set and they took pictures and they mm-hmm. put their product on the shelf to see how it fit and to show the buyer where it fit. I always liked that. Yeah, kind okay, of stuff. that's a great little. We did do that. Yeah, yeah, it's always yeah. something we I, I recommended. Yeah, just to <laughs> you know, kind of showcase like here's you know where we think we should live and why. I think it does behoove a lot of emerging brands, especially in your if you're in a gray area or you're kind of plant based and you have a home, but you might be in like a little 
you know, you might not be ready or your category might not be ready to move into, you know, the conventional side of things. Mm -hmm. I think it helps to have like a backup placement. So I know you and I would talk about like dressings because I I was the dressings buyer. So Mm -hmm. it doesn't make sense to put this in here. Where do you think, you know, and I, I'm not naive. I, you know, you might not get a lot of those conversations with your buyer, but at least to have that as like a backup. So if something like that does happen, you have that in your back pocket, like, okay, you know, where are the three or four other places that we are living in, you know, meaningful retailers to say like, Hey, like here's, you know, the second best place you can put us and we'll support it with X, Y, Z or whatever. Okay. So your advice before you even get started is number one, make sure you have the money. Number two, make sure you have a, like a really nice secure, you know, production and supply chain. Number three, I think what I'm hearing is come in with some conviction about where you belong, where you'll do well. And then in terms of putting that all in a pitch, you know, a lot of times we're not going to have a ton of data. Sure. So what's impressed you in a good pitch other than sort of like what you just said that I literally had someone stand guard. (laughs) I took all, I like moved all this stuff. I like put our stuff on the shelves. I took 85 pictures and then I tried to move it all back. Yeah. I would say you're going to run into a lot of buyers at Target where like data is like table stakes. So, I mean, you got to know the buyer. And I I would say, you know, as a quick aside, like brokers aren't for everyone, but I think for some places like Target, brokers are crucial. And I think there's a great ecosystem of like Target specific brokers that are, you know, a lot of former Target employees or have great leadership. You know, if Mm -hmm. anybody needs that guidance, feel free to reach out to me. But I think, you know, those are things that can help give you insight into what that buyer's, you know, kind of looking for and what's table stakes. Um, but to answer your question, I would say, um, I, I liked the retailer slide a lot. Um, working with brands now, I think, you know, some people I think are like, Oh, well, you know, whatever, everybody's in, you know, sprouts and whole foods or, or a lot of brands are in there. Like I would always, you know, knowing your retailer, I would, you know, there's, key peers that you're kind of looking for. Right. Um, are you looking or is there when you see, Oh yeah. I loved seeing Costco and Wegmans right. uh, on decks. Okay. I was like, cause like I felt if like you can handle Costco, s- you can handle target. Yeah. Right? And I felt like the guest is very, was very similar to target. You know, you're going to have that consumer going to probably both of those places mm-hmm. or really all three of those places. So, you know, it, I would model, I would take a lot of influence from their sets and product they carried and mm-hmm. go like, okay, well, you know, that's been, I, you know, I shop at Costco. I love treasure hunting at yeah. Costco. If those guys took the time to do some due diligence on this brand that I think is interesting, like that would go a long way in my mind. That's actually really helpful advice because Costco is a tricky one. Sure. Because you don't end up making really any money. I mean, you can make a little money and the top line's good and maybe you get some scale and you get some efficiencies there. But by the time you've done like the dunk, the dunk, the dunk, you know, your bottom line is like a little bit of profit, hopefully. And Wegmans is an interesting one too, because Wegmans, it's really hard. Wegmans, we've never been able to actually have a conversation with an actual buyer. It's Hmm. all through our UNFI broker. Sure. Um, they are very gung ho on private label. Yes. And, you know, they, they're very clear that they really kind of want 80% of their store to be private label and they'll take some brands and, 
and you know, we've been in there and we've done well, thank goodness. But it, it's a, it's a store that carries a lot of weight with other buyers, which is kind of interesting just because it's not an account that we can do all that much in. It's sure. an EDLP. There's no sampling. It's like the way that we did. You sound really, like you're describing target. Well, <laughs> right. Well, no, I mean the way that we did really way. well at Wegmans was Instacart. Honestly, our sales like quintupled sure. because we were doing Instacart ads and people weren't necessarily going into that refrigerator. We're in a really weird spot in Wegmans. They were just buying us online. And then that that sort of got that flywheel going with them. And then we sure. were able to get more distribution and more SKUs and all that. Um, but it's an interesting, it carries a lot of weight, I think, you know, yeah, for I, what they you are. Know, from my perspective, I would just look at their sets mm-hmm. and as I was doing a lot of research especially in the plant-based space where I felt like okay I needed to catch up mm-hmm. I, those were one of the ones like okay like here's you know how I feel is best in class well how is like you know and when I say best in class it's usually like the natural channel like mm-hmm. Whole Foods or or you know Lazy Acres as I previously mentioned and then you kind of go down to like okay what does the next kind of tier and maybe more direct peer of you know, retailers look like, right. you know, and how do I need to model that? So I think that's where, you know, in my mind, I was putting a lot of weight into there. And then I think from a Costco perspective, I know they're obviously very selective mm-hmm. and it's like, okay, well, if they're being super selective and these guys got in there, like that means something in my right. mind. It wasn't, might not have put me over the top on right. a brand, but it carried some weight, especially with emerging brands. If there was something that I yeah, it felt like it helped. Costco's a fun one also. I mean, we're not in there yet, but, you know, it's a fun one because it is a treasure hunt and you can create, you know, because you have that tray and you have sort of assuming you have like a three pack or a four pack or whatever it is, you have kind of more space in a way to tell your story and you can kind of get a little bit fun because you know that you're doing this like 12 week thing, maybe right. twice a year. You're in, you're out. It's, you know, and, um, but it's again, it's one of those things like you really have to be ready for it. For you sure. Know? Yeah. Okay. So is there anything else that you've seen? Have you, have you met every, I mean, I guess this is interesting pandemic too. Like, we met twice, I think. I came and I cooked for you. I'm sure did. Um, it was delicious. <laughs> thank you. Um, I, have you? Did you meet every single brand that you put in the set? Um, I think so. Um, yeah, I mean, at the time, I definitely would have. Um, as we, you know, if there was anything I was doing in like 2020 might not have uh like officially but i i was very very passionate about line reviews yeah i've learned as i've left target that i you know might have been more unique in that space like i kept telling you that (laughs) you just didn't really believe me i i I just i i really liked building out a cool set and finding things and winning i guess when you if you really want to put a, a finer point on it um so i was always taking meetings and trying to find cool things yeah. and, or at least get an education about the space. And, you know, that probably comes from a lot of my produce leadership, uh, that I had and, and that encouragement and things like that. And then obviously the bandwidth to be able to do that was great. So, and then last thing we talk about before we go into actually like, okay, now you're on shelf, then what, sure. was there anything 
that you saw in a deck or in a founder or in a sales presentation that was like a red flag or like a, uh, uh, this is not the brand for me, like that we should avoid. Yeah. Um, it actually was pre pandemic and I won't name the brand obviously, but I had, um, does it rhyme? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) I, I had someone come in and, and sell me, um, and give me a, 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 their story of how their brand came to be was based. It wasn't a, a political um, uh. position, but it was kind of in the realm of that. And this is why they created this brand because of this. And I was like, I thought it was really interesting, but that was like the beginning of the presentation. And I was like, I was immediately out. Like, interesting. Like, you know, I, I tried to sit on it. I tried to, you know, think about it. You know, I were, I was working with a broker on it and I had told him immediately like, Hey, I like, this really rubs me the wrong way. I don't know that I can do this. So I tried to be like thoughtful about it and not hold it against them. But I was like, you just got to be careful. You know what you say? I, I right. had another founder come in and, you know, was a little, I guess like loose lipped on some things, mm-hmm. uh, you know, of some personal opinions on some things. And I was like, that's, you know, I, you know, it was like, okay, like that's just a little right. weird. And yeah. you just, you know, when so you're keep set, it professional, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. You, you would think that that's the, the baseline there, but you know, like everybody's got their own personality, but right. yeah, some of those were just like, you know, every once in a while you'd run into that. And I was right. Like, and the, you know, the flip side of that is you get, you know, obviously to answer an earlier question, if you can get you know, someone like John Forker to invest in your business, mm-hmm. you know, like <laughs> there's, there's always that, that, that helps a ton, but right. you know, there's only, you know, a small number of people like that, but. Um, so that's but, interesting. Yeah. So I don't think I ever talked about my investors in our, in any of our meetings or on my deck or anything like that, but that could be potentially something that would be interesting to a buyer. Um, just as like a vote of, of I confidence. Think it, I think it can be. Um, when it's too much, when it's like, these are all the amazing people that whatever. Then it yeah, I mean, well. I bring up John. I mean, obviously he's very well known and very talented. I think, you know, he had a long history at Target with his time at Annie's. So mm-hmm. when he, you know, spoke, people listened, especially mm-hmm. leadership at Target. So that was like a very unique case. Unique, I've, right. I've had a lot of vendors, you know, before and after my time that are like, like, what's the you know, magic bullet here. What's the one thing I got to have that's Mm going to just get this over the line. And I like, I don't have an answer for you. Like, you know, Jay-Z could be an investor in your brand and it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing to put on a slide, Mm -hmm. but it's not necessarily going to get it done. Like ultimately, especially at a place like target, like they're, you know, it's very practical. It's data driven, you know, like I was unique in some way where I like to find, younger things and, and build out the set that way and try and find some, you know, things that were setting, going to set target up to win in the future was ultimately my goal. Right. Um, but yeah, it, it can help, but on, um, you know, it, depending on who it is, like it might not matter at all or to the buyer. Right. So, okay. So now this f- pretend brand has sure. won over the target buyer. Their deck was fantastic. Their presentation was great. They get, you know, somewhere between several hundred and a couple thousand, you know, stores. Um, that's like, 
you know, I always say that is not hitting a home run. That is literally getting up to bat, right? (laughs) So, you know, one of the things that we found, we were getting a lot of feedback on our Instagram, for example, from our consumers that were really excited to find us at Target that it was like $8.99 or whatever it was in some stores. And, you know, we don't control that. Um, And is there something that we should know about, you know, pricing? Like what, what happens in the pricing plan? Because you're not, you know, we were like, we should be six ninety nine, and we are in some places, but we're really not in other places. And you know, what, yeah. what's that? All I mean, about? I, I think, you know, it's called, it's called manufactured suggested retail for a reason. Suggested. Um, uh, it's definitely a suggestion. So right. as much as you feel like you need to be somewhere and, you can build out the case any way you want. Ultimately, it's, you know, I guess most of the time a buyer decision. And then, you know, there's going to be places at Target where it might be, you know, a, a larger group of people um, that are looking at that stuff. Or, you know, at Target, we were always, you know, competitively shopping things. So, like, that mattered. Right. Um, is there like is there an understanding? I mean, I, I assume that there's an understanding on your part that velocities might take a little hit at a higher shelf price, and that's okay because the dollars per the slot are coming in. Or yeah, you some of that's going to be narrative, and you know, a, an item like yours in my set, I was looking at like unit turns, units per store per week was mm-hmm. my primary goal, but you were more expensive than most things in my set. So Mm -hmm. I would pivot that dialogue internally to go like, okay, well, where's the dollar, you know, threshold Mm -hmm. for the class and where do they rank in that? So um, very, very high. (laughs) (laughs) We set the bar for the class. I don't know what the class is, but yeah. Okay. (laughs) But yeah, that's, and some of that is just, you know, if your buyer's not going to look at that or, or help you with that or, or give you that, help you with that narrative you need to work on that and right. you need to help them see that that's why a broker really does play a big part in 100%. the target ecosystem right um anything else that you wish that we knew once we you know once we did get on shelf like that's important that we do that we don't know that we're supposed to do um i would say the i saw the most success in the scrappiest vendors so you know, you and I had a lot of those discussions. You use some third party like marketing yeah. and signage firms. I think like those It's are, awesome that you let us do that. Yeah, I think those are things where you just sometimes you just gotta bring that to the buyer and go like, Hey, this is how we wanna invest and this is how we wanna improve. Like it's there's a lot of people in this business that you know, because you kinda grow up you know, I don't want to oversimplify, but in theory, you grow up in that kind of distributor model of like K here unify where everything is just a promo, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, well, you can get really creative at target and the best vendors get creative, whether that's with the circle program and getting surgical. Like I, that was a drum I banged all the time within target is like the circle app is spectacular. It's very surgical. It's very, you know, it's, it really easy to do things, you know, one-off things or short time periods. Like I think you got to break that, especially in the digital age, you got to get out of that like s- Sunday to Saturday mindset right? and just do what's best for the brand. Like, you know, if you have a broker, push the broker to get mm-hmm. you like 
you know, out of stocks by store. And if you, you put a threshold in there of, you know, number of weeks out of stock mm-hmm. and go like, okay, is send a merchandiser in there? Do we, right. is, we it, is it just sitting in the back room? Right. Do you need to actually get, you know, help the team like reorder for that store yep. or push product to those stores to yep. get that back on shelf? Like POG integrity is not unique to Target. I think it's, no. you know, with any retailer, it helps to get really, really scrappy. Yeah, no, that's super, super helpful. There was something you said, oh, Circle, it's interesting because, you know, even if you just think about like a Circle promotion, or I don't know if that's the correct word for it, but, you know, something that you can do on Circle or even on any digital, right, is like someone clicking a switch, one person clicking a switch on a computer and it just goes out to every guest as opposed to, people on the ground in the store hanging tags sticking things on you know all of us have to that is not happening anymore it's just it's whether it will ever happen again i don't know but the combination of sort of the consumer moving digital and then just labor being what it is it's just like a double whammy yeah you want to squeeze as much juice out of that orange to stay with the produce analogies here and a way to do that is just to you know be more surgical with the stores and the stores are in you know like yeah it's really easy to run a a, you know a temporary price reduction temporary price cut but at the end of the day like you have all these other tools at your disposal Mm -hmm. and you can get down to you know maybe it's really capitalizing on your best stores and pushing you know getting those guys moving even more product you know like there's different yep. levers to pull and you should be thinking we about did that like and top 100 and bottom 100 exactly but and- talking about the bottom 100 so i i always sort of said to the broker i'm not sure we should be in these 50 stores they're just consistently dragging us down compared to these other stores some of our stores were amazing as always right sure And there's this sort of like, well, we don't want to give up door count because then it looks like maybe there's like a lack of confidence or maybe we're moving in the wrong direction. And, and I was kind of always like, well, I'd rather us do it than him do it. Right. But so is is there any advice there? Like if we're, if you're just, there are going to be stores within a retailer that are just not going to be a great fit. It's just not going to be that aligned. Yeah. It's a great question. You know, I think. Other retailers will probably have a little bit more flexibility. Target is, you know, going to segment by planogram. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times you're at more of a, you're at a higher level when you're segmenting that. Um, Maybe you're just breaking out by like a super target and a non-super target. So just removing 10 stores, like you can bring that to the attention of the buyer as like, hey, like, you know, we've been at this for you know, four months and this, these aren't working, Mm -hmm. you know, we've tried this and tried that. Like, let's look at that at the next review, but you know, it's not the worst thing. I think it shows the buyer that you're critically analyzing the business, but the, sometimes the ability to do anything about it is just not there. Um, just by the way they break things out. Um, it's not, it's not any less work to, do less stores. Right. It's still, you know, the functionality is still all the same. It's right. just, you know, that kind of thing. So the way, it, yeah. Okay. Before we move on to the last two minutes of what you're doing now, <laughs> um, last licks, anything you just wish that you could like 
shout to emerging brands as they are trying to get on target shelves or trying to stay on target shelves? Like, um, I would say it's, it's really hard to be patient, um, with target. You, it's a big account. It's a lot of stores. It's a great store. Obviously, you know, no knock, but everybody thinks it's the perfect match mm-hmm. for their business and or for their product. And more often than not, it is. But you need to understand, like, you know, it's not easy to do. And you sometimes it's just worth planting a seed mm-hmm. with a buyer. And yeah, that buyer might turn over and you lose all your momentum. But it's right. o- it's okay to be patient. It's like more often than not target and food is going to fast follow. So mm-hmm. like look at the other stores and how do we increase velocities right. in sprouts and whole foods and Kroger and all these other places. So that when we go back to target, our mm-hmm. story is even better. better. Look at us go. We're ready to rock. Is yep. the, you know what I would say. Yeah. That's great advice. Okay. Last couple minutes. What, sure. are, what are you doing now? And what are you loving? And what are you learning? And Yeah, still in emerging brands. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I work for uh, an external sales company that uh, helps emerging brands grow. Um, and, um, and do they do all different retailers or do they specialize in certain retailers? They do all. Um, there's obviously a million independents, which is hard to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're not a broker. We're more like... Um, just like external sales. So if you were right. at a point where it's like, I have a dedicated amount that I want to set aside for a salesperson or a sales team, mm-hmm. you would hire us for a similar amount yep. and we can turn on 25 people across the country right. for you. My position is, is some sales, but mostly brand management. So they would assign you to someone like me and I would help you you know, navigate the waters of, you know, depending on where you are in your growth cycle, we're going to work it from everybody who's, you know, at first production run to, you know, maybe a little bit more established that is just trying to fill in like the nooks and crannies of smaller accounts Mm -hmm. because they, you know, started big with Whole Foods and, you know, Kroger or whoever, and now they just need to fill things in. So do you generally manage brokers on behalf of the brands like are you kind of part of the like broker management piece or since you aren't we would right i mean we would have the direct relationships that a broker would right obviously in a you know to bring it back to target like there's going to be a target broker involved there so there's going to be a little bit you know there might be a second layer Mm -hmm. in there but you know from my perspective you know as someone who at some point in time will be able to sell directly to target, Mm -hmm. I would probably still align you with a broker anyways, because you need that day in and day out management of target. There's a lot of other things that, you know, maybe national brokers, you could go without that. Our team can manage internally for you, whether that's K or unify or things like that. Right. So, So, I mean, there, there seem to be like, Public seems to kind of require its own little thing. Kroger seems to require its own little thing. Costco for sure. Target for sure. Um, but we would have like direct sales right. to call on all of those guys. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the sales thing, I can't, I, that's the question I get. I get a lot of like 
sort of like expletives about distribution. Sure. Um, and then I got a lot of question about, I'm kind of ready, but I'm not really ready. And I don't want to hire someone for 175,000 a year who isn't going to be hands-on, who's used to having a team. Sure. And I don't know that they're going to change my culture. And, you know, so everyone's sort of, but then, you know, it's just, you kind of have to grow into it, but you have to have it to grow into it. It's just the, it's, it's the tough one. And honestly, that's why we're positioned like we are. Right. Is because it's for those people who are, you know, Not you know, a lot right. of companies in that point that are like, okay, I, you know, I don't necessarily want to hire two people and then have them hire, you know, 12 brokers across the country right. or whatever that number is. Like you can just turn us on for that price and we will, or for a similar price and we'll so something tells me you're not going to give out your cell phone number right now, but (laughs) what would be the best way for a brand to find you guys? Uh, yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn, which I don't, I don't know if you'll put this in like some notes or something like that, but, um, I'm happy to connect via LinkedIn. If Um, you do Ryan Rogers FDM, you will get you. Got it. Got it. Yeah. I haven't searched myself. So I have, So that's a great place to start. Yeah. Yeah. Feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. Um, Obviously email is fine too. Right. um, And I'm happy to talk through that. Awesome. Um, And you can always, as you all do, you can always reach out to me and I will connect you to Ryan. Um, Amazing. Thank you so much. Absolutely. So great seeing you in person and being back in person. And thank you for demystifying this amazing, beautiful retailer for all of us. Liam, thank you for engineering today's show. I really appreciate it. Thanks for being in person. Um, I have two more episodes before winter break. And um, we're booked all the way through the end of April with guests. So um, for all of you in the Sauce listeners, please do subscribe so that you can always be um, aware when I drop a new episode. And I just really want to thank you for listening. I'll be back next week with another episode of In the Sauce. In the Sauce is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.